Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity. And in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? How does Zach Levine's ACL injury impact the Timberwolves? Did the Warriors steal the playmaker that the Cavs really needed? What does it mean to choke in a game? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast, and also the simulcast live on Periscope with you, with me, of course, and uh, that guy, Dave, Coach Dave Dufour. Dave, uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, again, as always, on Mondays, we do our podcast, and it's uh, kind of exciting to kind of do this on two platforms at once. Yeah, this is fun. I, we, we have a good time doing the live post-game show, so we figured uh, we would... Uh, make ourselves even more accessible so um yeah let's see how it goes yeah so strap in sports fans because we're gonna have a nice you know great conversation and if uh, you miss any part of this you can always listen to it on itunes pretty much after this is over and then don't forget what we're going to do something new as well is um we're going to uh, cover the louisville virginia game we're gonna do some college basketball so we'll have a halftime and a post-game show today later on uh, the game starts at 4 p.m uh, pacific so join us here and, and uh, hopefully Facebook Live and YouTube as well uh, for that. I'm excited about that. Are you, Dave? Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Um, you know, in, in the lead up to championship tournaments and uh, the Final Four, we figured we might as well start watching some of these games and, uh, and talking about them a little bit, get familiar with them. And, and we're starting with what should be a good one with uh, Louisville and Virginia both in the top ten. So Yeah. I'm excited to see, you know, the uh, the Virginia pack line defense and see if that's going to sway me to, to be more of a proponent of it. I'm not always that excited about what they do. And by the way, one of the reasons and I kind of got into it on Twitter like, uh, you know, a few weeks ago was this notion of you cannot give up baseline. Like it's as if it's it's all hell will break loose. And I remember learning that when I was a kid, you know, like running two, three zone. You cannot you stand out of bounds if you have to. But what I've shown a couple of those tweets was you could ride the guy under the basket all the way out the other side. And it's, it's you know, nothing is lost. And yet, um, of course, a couple of clips I use an example, like the guy could have had a pass on a cutter and he missed it, whatever. But still, sure. the point being that it's not it doesn't have to be the end all be all. And yet, um, you know, here we are uh, with that. And uh, people were getting angry at me as usual. Well, you know, like. I, I don't know. Growing up, ours was always no middle, no middle. And, you know, if you can force a guy baseline, the baseline acts as an extra defender. Mm -hmm. So we were always taught to force baseline. Maybe that's just my East Coast, you know, basketball training. But, yeah, that's how we were. Because, you know, when you have good ball handlers and guys that are good at penetrating, if they're able to go middle, 
it's not it's not hard when the defense collapses in the middle to hit hit shooters on the outside. So we were always taught, you know, you want to send them baseline. Absolutely, um, and that's an extra defender. Yeah, like you said. So, uh, all right. Well, let's let's move on to you know some of the pending news of the day in the NBA. Uh, and by the way, you know, if you're out there at Periscope, give us some hearts. Let us know you're out there. I love to see how the hearts going. Yes, love them. And then uh, if you have any questions, we can probably try and grab a few while you're going I think on we've now. got a few. If oh, you, okay. If you can pull them up, yeah. Uh, well, I, I see right now the best player at Lonzo Ball in college. Um, I might be a little bit behind as I'm watching it in my browser. But uh, are there any, did you see a good question? Oh, if you compare any big man in the NBA with Al Horford, who would it be? Uh, that's interesting. I guess are we talking about uh, – Oh, if you could pair any big man. I, you know what? I, I feel like I saw this question. Maybe he asked me this on Twitter. Uh, any, any feelings for that, Dave? I, I think that Paul Millsap was a great, a great guy to have next to him. Um, but I think Horford is a five. I don't think he's a four. So, you know, you, you, you know when you talk about pairing him with a big man, do you mean like Dwight Howard? Do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I so used to it, think that, that he, a little. I used to think that he'd be much better as a – as a four, that was his natural position. But now where we're going with the league, there is no question that he's, you know, he just shouldn't be chasing guys out in the perimeter on defense. And he can stretch it a little bit. Uh, as a five, it's probably better than it would be as stretching it as a four. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Cool. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about like Zach Levine because that's a real bummer right now for a lot of these guys uh, who are fans of um, the Minnesota Timberwolves. What's uh, did you see the play when he got hurt? Yeah, I did. And, you know, non-contact ACL injury, uh, very common way to do it. And it looked like he just planted his leg. And, and I don't know if he hyperextended it or not. It's tough to tell from the angle I watched it on. But um, it's a tough break. But, you know, if you look on the bright side, the way ACL surgeries are done now and with the rehab, these guys come back and they're better. You know, they, they have time to do skill development, which they don't during a season. Um, look at Jabari Parker's development in the last two years, you know, and compared to the way he came in the league. Like now he's shooting threes uh, at a very, very good number. He's so much more athletic. And when you've got a guy like Zach Levine, who is already a freak athlete, um, I really think that, that you're going to see him come back better than he than he has been. I mean, he's a hard worker anyway. And, yeah, it's a tough break because he's a young guy. I mean, you never want to see anyone get hurt. But, you know, if you look on the bright side, you know, there is a path to, to improving his game because of the ACL injury. Like trying to trying to find the, the silver lining, you know. Absolutely. Uh, we had a good question, actually, where uh, they were asking, do we give Denver really quickly before I forget this? Because here's the problem with uh, Periscope is that these questions go. But uh, before I forget, do we give Denver a, um, a chance against the Warriors in the first round playoff game, uh, series? No. I no. think it would be a 4-0 sweep. And I love Jokic probably more than almost anybody. Um, but no, I think it's a, it's a four-game sweep. Right, I agree. Uh, well, yeah, maybe they maybe they sneak one game in there when the Warriors miss some threes or whatever, but uh, they don't really have it. Uh, and let's get back to Levine real quickly. Yeah, really, um, you know, I, I'm sure he'll come back and he'll be fine. Um, is it a blessing? I, I, miss, I think that the Wills have their number one pick, but either way, they're on their way to getting that lottery anyway, and it's a good deep draft. So, um, 
you know, I don't know. It's this weird thing where it, I hate to see people who like there's nothing. It was not an injury. It was just sort of a cut, and that was it, and it went went. Uh, I think people were wondering if we should criticize Thibodeau for this kind of stuff because it's overplaying or not. But uh, it didn't appear to me that yeah, you know, Levine is playing more minutes than than he should be. Yeah, and also ACL injuries are not overuse injuries. Okay. So, yeah, it's just like an Achilles. It's not an overuse injury. You know, I've talked to guys about that. There seems to be a little bit of, of doubt, uh, I, I feel like, uh, with, I know with the Achilles too. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I've heard that, yeah, it's absolutely like when Kobe did it, it had nothing to do with the fact that he played 51 minutes every game right. for 10 straight games. Uh, I have talked to other people who are like, you know, he there were, there could have been signs, but he was ignoring of my, small tears or whatever, and maybe a, a pain in other places in his body that were really the Achilles talking, and then boom, it just finally snapped. Um, and and so, you know, it, it, how is that not necessarily related to playing a lot or playing the game? But I think I think what we can conclude is that playing the game of basketball isn't really the best thing for anyone's body. Sure. Yeah. There's always a risk of injury. I mean, if you you know. Uh, if Zach Levine's on the court, there's a chance he could get hurt. So, I mean, there's an argument there. We should just shut everybody down. Right. Play you know, on like everybody. a – yeah, play on a trampoline. Like uh, what's that game? Have you ever seen that game? They play basketball Stamp on a trampoline. Ball. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, okay. Levine was playing 37 minutes a game, by the way, which yeah, you, that's know, you know, whatever. Now, I mean, listen, when LeBron – oh, sorry. If LeBron gets hurt, yes, we will point to that. I, I would imagine because but LeBron is old. I mean, you know, not old, but like he's 31, 32 and Zach Levine's like 22 years old. Um, this is not an overuse injury. It's just a freak injury that just happens, you know, like um, it, it and he'll be fine. They, they replaced the ACL with like Achilles tendon. So like mm-hmm. they, they put something way stronger in there. The ACL is like the thickness of a rubber band. It's nothing. Okay, fair enough. So like, yeah, so it's you could have a torn ACL and not know. Yeah, well, that's what it looked like. It looked like the bean kind of was walking a little bit around and sort of, you know, uh, probably was shocked as anybody when they actually found out. Uh, I don't think it was a complete tear either, so that was part of it. So yeah, he should be fine. This would be a good chance for him to continue working on his skills. Probably maybe even increase certain muscles that he didn't know he didn't have. Uh, that's the other thing. Like when Steph got his ankle injury stuff. When he ended up coming back and they kind of corrected it, he ended up having a lot of different muscles he didn't have before, and that and, and he won two MVPs. So, um, fantastic stuff. Uh, hopefully, on that one as he re- rehabs. But speaking of fantastic, did you? Uh, I, I actually watched the Super Bowl. I kind of violated my my moral uh, disgust of the the game of football itself and watched the Super Bowl. Did you have a chance to watch it? I did. Um, I I. Missed out on the Super Bowl party I was going to go to and decided to watch at home. I did not watch the first quarter and uh, just decided, you know what, I'll sit on the couch and watch the game. And, uh, yeah, I at halftime, you know, it was like 28 to 3 or 21 to 3 or whatever it was. And like a lot of people, I really thought, wow, that's it. Um, And, man, Tom Brady, he's just too good. It's not fair. Yeah. Well, the the best thing I think I could take away from that, as far as you know, just why I, I was I had one eye in the game. I, I finally got to go to a party. I had not. My wife and I were really, and my family was just upset all morning because we didn't get invited anywhere. And then all of a sudden, the last second, we got the invite. It was our neighbor four doors down. So. Uh, luckily, if it wasn't that situation, we probably wouldn't have stayed and watched the whole game. But the thing I'm going to take away from it is that you should never give up. 
and it was over, right? They're down 21, I think, in the start of the fourth quarter. Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, you know, so this is – these comebacks with more passing in the NFL, you can equate the passing in the NFL to three-point shooting in the NBA. As, as the passing numbers go up, which they have, mm-hmm. and as the three-point shooting goes up, you're going to see way more of these improbable comebacks because there's going to be so much more fluctuation. Guys will get hot from three, and all of a sudden, you know, it's easy to – I mean, in the, in the NBA, you could – if you can shut down your opponent seven straight possessions and hit seven straight threes, you, you're, that's a 21-point uh, comeback. So it, the, we're going to see more and more of these as it becomes more more prevalent. This is the effect of analytics on football. Yeah, and that way I, I had I had not envisioned that we were going to be able to make that uh, comparison. So kudos to you. I suppose the long two is the run game in football. And when it, when you watch them run the ball now, because I don't really watch football anymore, but like it is, it's like why are they doing that? And when I'm watching, like there's no you're going to get like three yards. And you're going to waste a down to do that. And, uh, you know, I wonder if we're going to move to that as well at some point where it's not going to be hardly any running. Um, but, you know, that, that is a great point. Now, the other question that I had was, does this mean that there was simply no adjustment made by the, the Falcons? Like they were just cold from passing and then got hot and it was simply a matter of them getting hot? Or did something change that like unlocked the passing game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, from from watching the game, it just it really just looked like the the Patriots came out and made a great adjustment at halftime. The Falcons didn't milk the clock like they should have. Um, you know, when you've got a lead, you want to burn time off the clock, it, especially in football. And uh, and yeah, they just didn't do that. And next thing you know, um, the, the Patriots are right back in it. And then when the Falcons needed to move the ball to to run time off when they needed a first down they just couldn't get it so yeah but it was fun it was a fun game it was it was a lot of fun um the commercials were pretty decent they were very it was the most political super bowl commercial set i've ever seen in my life huh so you know i kind of didn't keep my eye on it as i'm realizing um what, what give me an example of something that was political that you saw in the uh, commercials uh so audi did a commercial about equal pay um, 84 Lumber did a commercial about uh, immigrants coming from Mexico. Um, yeah, it was it was it felt like every other commercial was something you know some political statement. I I, I can't remember the, that ever happening in my lifetime. So yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's a focus group. Like they're doing the numbers, they're looking at that, knowing that they can you know it, it won't be a problem for their brand, I suppose, because obviously that's the name of the game for them. So. Uh, I mean, it's it's times being what they are. Yeah, if you've ever read read Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, the uh, the times are uh, wicked. I suppose is what they called it then. And so uh, this is where we are. It's a it's a fascinating time, and probably in some respects, fascinating could be positive in some ways, but certainly negative in a lot of other ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so back back. To, let's go back to basketball. That's why everybody's here watching. Um, which yes. thanks again for watching on Periscope. Um, so give us some hearts. I want to see some hearts. I love when they they, float, they fly by. Hey, yeah. I love it. Thank wow. you. That's <laughs> insane. Um, so the uh, the Warriors signed the playmaker that the Cavs needed. Oh, Briante Weber. Yes. How now, you feel about that? Briante Weber is someone that people don't really know much about. 
Um, Dave, I want to throw it to you. Give us the, the lowdown of what he was doing in the D-League, where he played college ball, yeah. and what kind of player he's most comparable to. So he, he played at VCU. So he played for Shaka Smart, um, you know, and they, they had the Havoc Diamond Press. So, you know, he's a high-intensity player. Reminds me a lot of Patrick Beverly, um, kind of a smaller guard, 6'2", 165 pounds, maybe 170. He looks like he's filled out a little bit. Um, but in the D-League this season, he's scoring like 16.5 with 7.5 boards and 7.5 assists, shooting 36% from three. So the guy can play. And uh, I've watched some some of his D-League film just because he's a guy. I mean, I went to VCU, so I kind of followed his career. And I love his his tenacity on defense. I'm also a huge Pat Beverly fan. Um, and so I, I was watching some tape on him. And I was just thinking, wow, this is a guy that, that should be a backup point guard in the NBA. Um, I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten more of a shot. He's fully recovered from his knee injury, and uh, he looks good. And, man, the Warriors got a steal. It's funny because you're talking about a guy who is a, like a playmaker. He can handle the ball. He can play, make, some, make some plays on, uh, on both sides of the ball, and he's got a lot of ability. Um, it's almost as if there was someone else who might have been able to use this player. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they totally stole Cleveland's playmaker completely. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost funny because, you know, LeBron goes public and says, we need this stuff, and he's basically calling out his, the front office, which I think is shitty. And um, and and yet they miss it. Like I, it's weird because remember, like the way the D League works, he was a free agent uh, in the D League. He could have signed with any team, and uh, and here he is. Now, I, what I what I'm seeing from him is, uh, yeah, Patrick Beverly is not a bad comp. Uh, and when he, he's ripping guys in the D League, now remember the D League has major talent, major ball handling talent. And if you're going to be cold ripping guys in mid court. Uh, there, I mean that's that's impressive stuff, and and the fact that he can shoot a little bit, uh, he hops into a lot of his threes, so I'm already in love. Uh, this is a major coup, and it could have also been more of like let's keep him away from the Cavs as much as let's bring him on the Warriors. Right. Well, the thing is, man, like I, I actually think he's a guy the Warriors can use. You know, I mean, he it's more guard depth for a team that you know, like Ian Clark has been struggling lately. Um, McCall has, has looked good in flashes. Um, so it's a nice young guy to have on the team. And, and I think like my hope is that they, they keep this guy and they sign him, uh, you know, to, at least for next year. I mean, I, I think that this is going to be a good signing for them. Um, you know, as they're trying to keep minutes down uh, on their, on their starters, you know, uh, you don't know what's going to happen with Iguodala this summer and with Livingston. So, you know, defensive guard depth is important for this team. And if you look, I mean, they're, they're probably going to lose Ian Clark this summer. You know, he's going to get, he's going to get paid. Um, and deservedly so he's a good player. And so he could be the, the Ian Clark replacement potentially. Yeah. If, if it works out, you know, and then McCaw can replace Iguodala and they might not miss much of the beat at all going into next year, which is, I mean, listen, I, I, I like uh, Iguodala and I like Ian Clark and I, you know, I feel bad if they, I mean, listen, they're going to, well, certainly Ian Clark is going to be in a good situation next year regardless. But uh, I love this idea of like developing talent, finding them, bringing them in, plugging them in. It's kind of like the uh, – I can't, I can't believe I'm going to bring football up again, but the Niners used to do this, right? The Niners, you know, from the Joe Montana years through the Steve Young years would just keep plugging guys into the system, and it was like the all-star, all-star, amazing player after amazing player. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. Hopefully he gets some, some time, you know, like – 
I, I wonder if we might see Steph Curry take a game off. I, I know he just missed a couple because of the stomach flu. Uh, apparently, Kevin Durant's ball hogging right now, which I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. But um, Well, he didn't ball hog in the game they lost in the Kings where he took, like I think, 10 shots and, and, and missed a whole bunch. It was a weird game. I don't know. I, you didn't get a chance to watch it, it sounds like. But I, I watched the first half and then the fourth quarter – and um, it was weird. Uh, and certainly, you know, the, the Kings, the Kings obviously have some things to offer uh, when they are out there on the court. Uh, but and then certainly with it was like a basically the boogie fest where they just um, they just uh, just went to him. And I, it was a fascinating matchup, almost worthy probably of a breakdown of just watching Draymond go one on one against uh, Boogie and, and them taking turns getting each other uh, was really amazing. And then, but you saw the last shot of the game, right? As a coach, you got to say, "Well, listen, we ran a great play down by one, we get a layup, and Steph just misses it." Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know what? I I, I know where you're you're leading me with this conversation, and uh, you know, I, sometimes you just miss a shot, and and it, you know, like I'll take Steph Curry on a layup over anybody else. I mean, he's the best layup finisher in the NBA statistically, and you know, from the eye test, so. Um, you know, if you're going to miss one, hey, uh, that's going to happen. Uh, I guess so. I mean, I thought what he should have done was, and people were asking me about this because it's like, oh, because we can get to the, the, the choking notion of it in a yeah. second. But, but like, you know, he, he kind of had to adjust a little bit because the defender came over really hard to Tolliver to contest. So great contest. But he should have then in the air brought it back down, wrapped it around, and given it to Iggy, who was coming in bounds for, for the winning layup. And then even more time would have gone off, and then it would have been impossible for the Kings to get a good shot off. So um, is that water-sponsored? No? No. Okay, good. We'll get a sponsor for that, because this is not we sponsored need, yeah, we, need, we need a sponsor. So anyway, if you're listening to the podcast, you don't know, Dave just took a drink of water from his, uh, it's probably his eco-friendly um, water bottle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm drinking out of my uh, my Arrowhead, uh, you know, non recycle or recyclable uh, thing. So anyway, yeah. the point being is, I think he choked, and I now got into a weird semantic argument on Twitter right after that about what choking means. Dave, come on, when you get an open shot, you can make that for the game in a really you know tense situation. You miss it, that you choke. That's a choke. That you know, Charles Smith choked against the uh, the Bulls in '93. Like that's a choke, isn't it? I guess. I mean, yeah, you you may have choked that spot, but for me, like I say, choke. I think he just missed the layup, right? Like I, I say, choke for like Christmas Day when the Warriors blew like a twenty-five point lead and lost the three the three-one finals comeback as a choke. That's a choke. For uh, sure. Okay. And the so, thunder choked before that, right? Like so. Well, okay. So you know, so your choking seems to be limited to a, a sort of a team-wide macro uh, right. uh, assessment of it, right? Yeah. Okay. Because to me, you know, I, I guess I'm much more focused on the details. Like choking is is the is the guy who misses the shot. Uh, you know. I, okay. So if you miss a three. To, to win the game, you know, that's a, that's a 40% proposition, right? So you're not just like choking. But when you get a layup, when you get like a little floater from four feet, like that's that to me is like, you know, you, you lost your concentration for a second. You know, the, the sphincter got tight. Like those are that's that's choking to me. So especially a 70% finisher on layups. Right. Yeah. And that was a gimme layup. I mean, you know, if you were going to call one shot a choke I, and you called that one one. Okay. 
Okay, now how about this? Is a turnover a choke? Like, was the turnover to James Worthy by uh, Sleepy Floyd in the 82, you know, when he turned the ball over when they're down by one after Jordan hit the shot or whatever? Is that choking? I don't know, man. It's tough because, you know, you're pressing in that situation. You know, you're trying to make a play. I, I, I don't know. I, I think choke is such a harsh word. And it, this is mostly semantics. You know, it's, it's not like there's no real definition. You know, no one's ever defined it. This is just more like semantics. I feel like choke is a harsh word for when you mess up. I don't necessarily think it's always about the pressure. Sometimes it's about the situation. Like, again, you got three seconds to get the ball down court. You're more likely to rush and, and make a mistake. Right. Okay. So that's different. And I, I agree with that. But I just I will say they ran the play. It was really physical. He cut back door uh, as another option off of the out-of-bounds play, which is a really great read. Uh, terrible defense, I thought, by the, uh, the Kings anyway. And, until uh, the contest. Until the contest, right. So thank God for Tolliver uh, for getting which in I there. Think, I wonder if Curry expected contact. And that's kind of why he short, you know, he, he kind of went a little short on the layup. So mm-hmm. I wonder if if that was, you know, is is a fantastic contest because he came hard and and didn't make contact. And I wonder if Curry expected him to. Right. Well, uh, okay, that's fair enough. And as we all know, I think a lot of times the natural inclination as the guy's coming, you kind of you do shoot it shorter as an adjustment to like sometimes you you, you want to shoot it harder because you're thinking, oh, I got to rush it or whatever, and it comes out harder than you want it to be, and then you try and adjust in midair for that, uh, and you know whatever. It's a loss. It was a brutal loss. Uh, and you look at it this way: they lost in overtime in a game where you know Kerr got thrown out where they got extra shots, the, the free throws that they, didn't, they wouldn't have normally gotten, and then Draymond technical fouls. So those are the things that kill you, even though they're not related you know, to the end of the game situation in the fourth. But uh, you know, any, any freebies you gave them earlier are, really affect that game and didn't have to, and, that, and then the, there you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if the, if the, back to the Super Bowl. If uh, the Gostowski did not miss that extra point last night, then the Patriots aren't going for two uh, two consecutive touchdowns. So, I mean, every point matters. This is like if you win a game in November, you know, it counts just as much as a game you win in March to make the playoffs. So, you know, the everything matters. And, and at, at the point where Kerr got kicked out, it was on a two-shot shooting foul. Yeah. And he got two technicals and Draymond got a technical. So they gave up. It was it's five consecutive free throws. Yeah. So, you know. That, that that stuff, it hurts, especially in a game that you go into overtime on. And then you got Mike Brown coaching you. Ah, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> um, He's a good coach, man. Is he? I think he is. He is. The thing is, whether whether he's a good uh, technician or not, he has the player's respect. He wouldn't be in the NBA as long as he is, uh, or has he, as long as he has been, if players and, and other coaches didn't respect him. And that matters. Okay. That matters more in the game. You know, like having a, a good coach matters, like as far as a guy that can make decisions on the court. You've got three other guys there to help you out. Um, but but for what he was doing, it, it's, it was fine. Okay. And by the way, this reminds me of watching the other game from last night with, with Russ. Uh, you know, let's give him some props because he came down in the, in the uh, clutch and was really good, and basically, you know, gave have that enabled him to hold on. And he was hitting these like 15 foot bank shots. He had a couple of those, and people kind of yelled at me because I'm like, I don't really remember him banking a lot of those. Um, and those are tough 
Yeah. But, um, you know, people were yelling at me as if, like, oh, of course he does it all the time. And I'm like, I don't think he does it all the time. But, um, you know, and, and there weren't necessarily – it wasn't like a bank swish kind of thing. It was like right. wham and then roll in. But either way, uh, you know, I want to make sure he gives it some props because he played well down the stretch and pretty much uh, that last three that he hit um, while, again, like, was kind of like, what? But the, the mechanics of that shot where he swayed his feet forward, it looked so good. Uh, and he's been shooting a little bit better for three recently that all of a sudden now you're like, okay, maybe the three is a viable shot for him. Yeah, he iced that game completely. Um, you know, I first of all, I never expected Oklahoma City to be in the playoff picture, but they're they're the seven seed, right? Like, I mean, they're and they're comfortably the seven seed. They're they're going to be the seven seed when the playoffs come. Um, and I really thought that we would see a huge downturn with Cantor out. Um, Russ has been fantastic, and his fourth quarter stuff this season has been incredible. And and the craziest part about it is you know what's coming. You know what's coming, and you just cannot stop it. And that right. that's impressive, man. Like, you know, if I if I tell you I, I, we're going to run a pick and roll as a coach, okay, well, you know, all right, I know how to defend that. And with Russ, you know what's going to happen. He's going to dribble down, he's going to isolate, and he's going to hit a pull-up jumper, and they still can't stop it. So that's impressive. I, I'm going to give him props for – for what he's done in the fourth quarter of this season. It's been phenomenal. And, and, and you know, there, there's a really problematic defense by the Portland Trailblazers, so that also contributed mightily to what was going on. Um, and, you know, there was one where they set a screen. They screened the ball screener's man down by the block, and Plumlee literally just, like, stands there, doesn't move. And so Russ comes off that screen, and there's no he's got 15 or 20 feet of space uh, to get in there and to pull up, and it was like, what are you doing? Like he didn't even he got like paralyzed or something. Like they 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 had some sort of special you know uh, Death Star ray on him, but it was very weird, uh, and that didn't help. And and let's throw this out there for the Portland Trailblazers side is uh, it was a close game, and they they have a real shot selection problem. I mean it was the three point game, four point game, and they'd come down like jack of three without the ball even going below the free throw line. Um, even though they have some fantastic offense. They have some really great emotion in their offense, and they just don't – they went away from it, hero ball, whatever you want to call it, and uh, it, it's really frustrating to watch. It kind of gives me the answer why they're struggling so much. Yeah, Portland is not trusting their ball movement right now. And, um, you know, the trade deadline is fast approaching, uh, a little over two weeks, and uh, Damian Lillard has been not great. For the last few weeks, I'm not saying that there's a Lillard trade happening. I'm just saying um, I, I, I believe Neil O'Shea is going to have to go out and get this team some help. Um, it just stinks, man, because they locked themselves into these weird contracts that are a few years long and they're max, they're capped out. So um, I don't know that they have anyone, you know, outside of Alan Crabb. Who do you, you know, who's on that team that you would take? I like Alan Crabb, and he definitely right. would be a good asset. Uh, what about Lillard? I mean, like they're talking about either CJ or Lillard, like trading one of the two of those. Uh, it would be extreme, but it could happen, I suppose. I mean, you know, you'd get a haul for one. You definitely would get a haul for one of those guys. Um, they're they're young and they're they can play. You know, I, I think McCollum is is more of a one than a two. And so he's playing kind of a little bit out of position, which may be part of the reason why their defense up, you know, at the point of attack is so rough. 
because neither one of them are very good defenders, but you've got the two of them there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, you can get by with one guy typically, but but not two. Right. And then you throw Evan Turner into that, which I never I, I just don't I never feel like he fits uh, very well. Even like in context like last year when they didn't have him. There's just something about when he's in there and the ball and him, and he'll do well on occasion. Uh, I don't think he's having a great season, but um, there's just something off with that. And again, it, it's a testament to how how close attention you need to pay towards chemistry and how you know it's not just numbers on a on a sheet. You got to figure out how they play together, and I think that that's you know it's not really it's not hurting as much, but it's not really helping either. Yeah, well, and, and you know there's some disappointment because they caught fire last year. And they won 50 games, and this year they've they're below 500 and struggling to even be the eighth seed. And they doubled down on on a team that no one. This was the team that we expected last year, at least performance wise. Mm -hmm. We expected them to be a lottery team, and they caught fire and did what they did. And they doubled down on that instead of continuing the rebuild that they were gonna do post Lamarcus Aldridge. So. Again, they did. I mean, Neil O'Shea is going to have to, you know, he's the one that has to answer for this um, because this this happened on his watch. So, and uh, according to Jonathan, Jonathan Go one two three, yes, the Blazers did waste their money on Evan Turner. Good, terrible. Yeah, it was it wasn't necessary. They didn't need to do that with Alan Crabb coming back. They could have just rode that three guard lineup there without having to even, you know, have somebody else who's just like a complimentary player that could play some D. Uh, in that role instead, and uh, yeah, it just didn't work. And then I, I you know, Izili, that's that's the big problem as well. If they got any kind of normal Izili, or maybe like a little bit of an improved version uh, as he continues to progress, um, and you couldn't, you know, you can't just you couldn't plan that he was just going to be out the whole time. I don't think, um, you know, he he would solve a lot of their problems, and then that would have made like maybe one of their other big men uh, as an asset they could trade as well to upgrade. So. You know, a couple of things that line up poorly, and then here you are, and they are – are they going to make the playoffs? I don't think they're going to. I think the Nuggets are going to steal that eighth seed. I think the Nuggets are are the eighth seed that we deserve. Um, they're much more fun to watch right now. Um, Nikola Jokic is having a coming out party. Of course, you know, like I, I got to see all this last year, and then the Olympics to me were, were, were huge for him. But, um, you know, I, I think that we need to see the Nuggets – get swept by the Warriors so everyone can see how, how much potential the, the Nuggets have. I agree. That would be fun. Now, I mean, I, I've been looking a little bit more of the Moutier stuff, and, you know, I, I'm not really that excited about him. i got to tell you. Uh, I feel like there's just – you know, I think he's out of position. I don't think he's necessarily a point guard. Do you think that? No, not necessarily. Um, but I think it's, it's sort of like a Michael Carter-Williams situation where, he, you know, his, his elite size made it so that – you know, growing up and, and then his one year overseas, he was able to kind of do what he wanted with the ball. And his playmaking was, you know, was adequate. And, and I see flashes here and there, but his shooting is not good enough to be off ball, at least in theory. But he's a great cutter and he's a good he's a good passer. He's a, he's a good willing passer um, as like the secondary guy. So I think that there could be something there moving him off ball. I love Jamal Murray as a point guard. I think that Jamal Murray, we're going to look at Jamal Murray as like the next Steph Curry once he starts kind of, you know, finding his game. Because um, he's a good shooter. He's an electric, explosive scorer. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen there. It's going to be interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Moutier guy because I love those big guards, man. I like a guard that can post up and and do things for you like that. But but it may not be there. Right. It may not be a there there. Right. It's, and it kind of goes to another little thing about like. Why are they playing point guard? Who decided that they're going to? That's the position they need to be playing. Uh, you know, Russ. In, in, listen, I, I'm not going to get into the merits of whether Russ is a good point guard or not. I mean, obviously he's an all star. He's doing his job very well. Um, but it was weird that he didn't really play it that much in college, and then all of a sudden was just like, okay, you're going to be a point guard. Same with Moutier. Uh, you know, and then especially in the context of this draft. Where And speaking of which, stay tuned later on today. We're going to do a halftime and a postgame show live uh, during the, Caval- uh, the Virginia Cavaliers uh, versus the um, Louisville, uh, Louisville Cardinals, Cardinals uh, which will be a great game. So we're going to expand into college today on Periscope live. So be, join us for that later. But, you know, we have all these point guards who are going to get drafted into the pros, and they're very highly rated, and they all have a lot of experience playing this position. And uh, it just it just weirds me when you start to try and shove these other players uh, into the other into these wrong positions so they don't fit them so well. Yeah, you know, and they did it with Zach Levine too. Yeah, yeah. He hardly played any point guard and then came in the league, and they were like, "All right, well, you're a point guard again." It's elite athleticism and and elite size, and so you take a guy who's six five and you put him at the two, and it's nothing special. But you put the ball in his hands. And all of a sudden, you've got a guy, you know, a big guy. He can see over the defense. He can, you know, do all these things that we talk about all the time. Um, you know, but Michael Carter-Williams is now, like, four years into the NBA, and and teams are still playing him as a point guard. You yeah. would think that NBA teams would catch on by now. Now, of course, it's the Chicago Bulls that are still playing him as a point guard. So um, I'm not shocked that they don't see what's right in front of their face. But I've said this for, like, the last two years. Michael Carter-Williams is going to wind up in San Antonio and he's going to play off ball and he's going to be a dominant cutting wing and he's going to play really good defense and people are going to be like, Spurs do it again. Right. By the way, if, if that doesn't happen, then he'll be out of the league. That's right. Because uh, he doesn't imagine. have the other skills. Right. And he's in, certainly now he's in a toxic, toxic situation where we see, you know, we're seeing Jimmy Butler like not pass to him. Um, and that's got to be, and he's playing like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulder. So uh, it's it, he needs to get out of there anyway, or something needs to change to see him improve. I don't know how important that is to Bulls fans or not, but if you're a fan of Michael Carter Williams at all, then yeah, the, the, his only hope it looks like is to get out of the situation and just find that other situation that's going to be better for him. Um, and yeah, I, I there are versions of the Matrix where yeah he he can be that guy, and um, and I, I always liked his defense. It's, even now, it doesn't stand right. out to me that much, but now. Uh, he, he's not really doing much, and so we'll have to find out how that's going to play out. Uh, the so polls, quickly, let me yes. let me respond real quick. Um, so the people on Periscope are, are pointing out that uh, that he was Rookie of the Year and he was good in his first season. Well, the reason he's Rookie of the Year is because right. of counting stats. You know, he was he was the best player on a bad team. He had the ball in his hands all the time, and they played a really fast pace, so it, it inflated his numbers. It was money ball. Like, but instead of with a closer, it was with a point guard. It, it's, this is not hard to do. Like, if you know how to game the system, as Hanky did, this is what, you know, it was set up to create a better asset than what they had. Right. And, and as, as a result, right, we saw now, but there was still evidence without question that he had some real ability. So, well, he's an NBA player. Okay. Yeah, he's an NBA player. I just don't think he's an NBA point guard. 
Yes. Okay. That's a good. That's a very good distinction. I mean, the point guard of all the positions, you know, we're going to move you from power forward to center, okay, or whatever. Like that's a little bit of a transition that it's more viable or easier to make. But when you're talking about like throwing with a point guard of all places, that's the, still the one position that you need to have a lot of nuance and a lot of experience and a lot of understanding of how that works. It's really hard to throw you in on the fly and expect you to do well at the NBA level. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many things. Like there's. There's primary reads, secondary reads. There's all these things that you've got to be responsible for. And, and also, man, it's really hard to be a point guard in the NBA if you can't shoot. If it you've is. got the ball in your hands, like let's say the average NBA point guard has the ball in their hands. Let's say their touches. They're touching the ball on 65% of possessions. Um, and let's say that their usage is somewhere between 20 and 30. Well, that's a lot if you can't shoot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a ton. So, you know, you, we, you need to be able to shoot. Like Alfred Payton, exactly. Um, as someone just pointed out on Periscope, uh, Pistons N just pointed out on Periscope, Alfred Payton is a prime example. Good luck winning with a guy like that. And, and I like Alfred Payton's defense, um, but, man, not being able to shoot is a killer. Absolutely. And it, it wouldn't be hard when I'm watching him to, to understand a little bit about the rhythm, what he's doing to, to help him improve. Uh, and by the way, Moutier is the same way because he hangs on his shot way uh, more often than not. And uh, of course, he's going to be inconsistent when he does that. And that's how we used to shoot it. Like in the 60s and 70s, yeah, you'd hang in the air, pause and then release. Uh, it's too hard, especially from any kind of distance to shoot that way consistently. So, uh, you know, it's weird that these little things would be easy to go over, at least, I mean, who knows? Maybe it wouldn't, but it just seems like they should try that, get that ironed out, and he'd be a lot, you know, in business. Which reminds me of, you know, again, to go back to Briante Weber, you know, he has a one-motion shot, and it looks really nice. Uh, and then also brings us back to another little guard, speaking of point guards, is Yogi Ferrell. Uh, we did a breakdown. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and watch my breakdown of his amazing game. He had 32 points uh, and, and led him to the win uh, for the Mavericks. Out of nowhere, out of Indiana, a guy who played a lot of years in college and was very well polished. Um, why, why, you know, Portland kept going underneath every screen as if he wasn't a shooter, yet it would have taken you 10 seconds to look at the scouting reports and know that he was a good shooter. Yeah, was it C.J. McCollum or Dame that said that was, that was the game plan? Oh, I didn't even see One that, of them and said I wish it. I would have seen that. One of them said it, and to me that was like they just completely threw the coaching staff – <laughs> and scouting team under the bus. Um, Yogi Ferrell is a good shooter. And he's, hey, what do you think, Cleveland? Is he a good playmaker? I mean, he was in the D League up until five days ago um, or six days ago, whenever it was that, uh, that uh, what's his face? Uh, who got hurt to give him the spot? Uh, you mean Darren Williams? Nope. They had another 10 day. Why can't I think of the guy's name? Oh, I don't even know. Like, anyway. Um, so yeah, the, he was just, he was just in the, in the D league. So, um, the guy can shoot. He's a good, he's a good playmaker. I actually, he and, he and, uh, Seth Curry are playing really, really well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been, it's been pretty fun. I mean, that was a fun game. I mean, he dropped 22. Now I don't know about doing the, the Jordan shrug, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, that was a fun game to watch. I, I really like his game and, and, you know, Again, back to Portland, they're having some major issues on defense. And, and at some point, you have to start looking at the coaching staff and you have to say, you know, are these guys, is it scheme? Is it talent? Is it both? You know, um, you know, 
I, I think some heads may could roll this summer. Interesting. Who? I don't know. Like, you can't fire Terry Stotts. You just can't. Like, he's too good of a coach, and you can't give him up. Plus, they just signed him to a longer deal, and I don't think Paul Allen is interested in firing coaches, you know, with, like, four years left. Um, right. So, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't think a Damian Lillard trade is off the table. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's either CJ or Dame. And you know what? The, the question now becomes is who's having a better year? Is CJ playing better than Dame? And I, I'm, the numbers, it's, it's tough. It's like there is something going on there. And I, I, when you mentioned that CJ is probably a better one, um, you, you know, it's interesting because he definitely has that ability. He shows the ability to understand that when, I, when to be aggressive at a shot and when to kick it out. Dame doesn't always do that. He seems like he's you know, much more about shooting than he is about setting his teammates up. So, and then again, with their offense, it doesn't really matter. That's sort of, you know, you can pretend that Dame's the shooting guard. You know, it only matters on defense, right, for them. Right. Um, and that's what's killing them. But uh, I have a great, there's a great question here by David for Braves HD asks, can we agree the Wizards are playing the best in the East? I would agree. I There's your boy, totally John Wall. That. That's my boy. Hey, John Wall, look, man, the Wizards, I think the Wizards have a chance to be in the two seed. From with what they're doing right now, like they definitely found their groove. John Wall has been amazing, and you know they're they're just behind Boston. I think they're only like two games back. And remember, I picked Boston to win sixty games this year. You did, but they they rely a little too much on Isaiah Thomas to create their offense. And and you know when you have a guy like Isaiah Thomas, who hey, hats off to him. 29 points a game is not easy. He's averaging over 10 points a game in the fourth quarter of games. So, I mean, he really is the king in the fourth. Yeah. But but his defense, you know, he's like a, he's like plus two because his defense is poor. Right. So, you know, it's tough for that to be sustainable. Um, they've been disappointing because they're not defending like I expected. But, yeah, man, the Wizards have really turned it on. They're scoring in bunches. But they're a good defensive team. Uh, Otto Porter should have been an all-star. John Wall should have started the all-star game. And, uh, yeah, that's not even controversial. Right. Well, I just did a a video where we broke down the Kelly Oubre adjustment. And when he comes in the game with the starters, it's like they just dominate. And they've been getting a lot of run with that recently. Uh, And it's great to see him. He's kind of like that Kent Bazemore guy. But... I think he's better than Kent Bazemore and will be will be better than him um, in a lot of different facets. And they're both sort of this, you know, these similar kind of players. But uh, Ubre has really just been a revelation and a great pickup for them. And I know they were happy with them and, and really wanted them, I think, when they picked him in the first place. But uh, he is now developing into that guy, and now they're, they're deep. And John Wall, the only problem I have with John Wall is his synergy numbers. When you're looking at, like, his efficiency are not great. Um, and it's, you know, his shooting isn't always great. It's up and down. But when you combine the points and the assists, he, sh- he jumps right back up there with other point guards. And, um, and so that's the indication there, that, you know, that he's doing some really good things. And then defensively, you know, what, half the game we're getting the John Wall we know on defense, and the other half is sort of, you know, average. Yeah. And remember, he's still bouncing back from that knee surgery. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Brian Windhorst just put out a piece today where he was talking about it. I mean, John, John Wall, like this summer, was using a walker to get around, right? Like, so, give, you know, I'll, I'll, give him, I'll give him 50% of the defensive plays. If he wants to kind of take a break, that's fine because I'm getting John Wall defense on the other ones. And in crunch time, he's been fantastic on defense. I mean, he, he just – he to me, he is uh, 
He's probably the best defensive point guard in basketball. When Chris Paul's not playing. When Chris Paul's not playing. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Uh, Forgot about Chris because, uh, you know, he's been hurt, so. Right. Well, listen, I don't want to forget about anybody else, so, but as we wrap up this show, uh, we want to make sure everyone knows to check out a, our, our uh, halftime and postgame show. Uh, we're doing college today, the big Monday game on ESPN, Louisville versus um, uh, Virginia. I don't know why I can't remember that, but that's who it is. And so check out halftime postgame uh, on the Periscope. We're going to try and get it on YouTube and Facebook Live all at the same time. And uh, let us know what you think about this. Have on Twitter and tell us if you'd like to see our – this is our podcast. This will be up in a few minutes on uh, iTunes. And if you'd like to watch us and do it this way, let us know. I think it was a really fun time. And um, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? You in, Dave? Yes, I am. 